Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's June 14th, 1966, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Arian, Rebecca, and Ali. The Retrospectors. So it seems hard to believe now, but incredibly, the Vatican was once considered out of step with modern attitudes. (laughs) Shocking. So it was that on this day in 1966, Pope Paul VI abolished the Index of Forbidden Books which the Catholic Church had circulated in some form since the 16th century. The Index Librorum Prohibitorum, you mean, surely? Yes, which itself sounds like a gland somewhere up your bum, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) And you may be unsurprised to know that, like the Catholic Church prohibitions on things like birth control and abortion, this index has always been quite widely ignored, it's probably worth saying, and it was Hmm. only ever enforceable within the direct jurisdiction of the Vatican. Acknowledging which, it's kind of amazing that it gained pace for so long before it was abolished. They started it in the late 1500s. I mean, to be fair, in the 1500s, there were pretty strict controls all over Europe about what could be printed. The establishment was still getting to grips with how to regulate the printing press. Right. But by the last edition, in the 20th century, in 1948, there were still in it 4,000 titles (laughs) which were considered um, offensive or should be censored or not be sold. And that is in addition to all books about atheism, which were automatically (laughs) considered heretical. So they didn't even need to make a judgment on that. I mean, books had been a a source of concern for a long time, even before they came up with this index. And in fact, it is one of a number of indexes that the Catholic Church has put together. But even as far back as like uh, scriptural accounts, there's this moment where new converts of St. Paul at Ephesus are burning scrolls, which are thought to be in some way idolatrous or, or problematic to the growing Christian movement. So, you know, it goes a long way back. And then you had this decree in the year 496 by Pope oh, We're Galatius. not commemorating that one. Our voiceover man didn't go that far back. <laughs> Um, But yeah, but there was this other index of banned books called the Roman Index, but then this one really took off. Um, (laughs) This one really captioned the zeitgeist. As our voiceover man told us. (laughs) I mean, what surprised me looking at some of the titles of books that were on it is that some of the titles include the Bible, which you'd imagine Mm. that the Catholic Church would be quite keen for their parishioners and congregations to read. But it was the wrong Bible. It was the wrong Mm. one. It was the wrong Bible. They only approved of the original and great Latin Bible, i.e. the one that almost nobody could read. (laughs) It's easy to see from the church's perspective how in the 1500s it must have seemed like they were going through like a real nightmare because before then, if you wanted a book, you either had to write it by hand or you could sort of print by hand. And if you wanted to know what God thought, you just asked your priest. Well, exactly. It was a real threat, wasn't it, existentially right. to their whole setup. And there was rel- there were relatively few books going around, and the ones that were going around were mostly written in monasteries by Catholic monks, mm, you know, yeah. who were copying them out. And then suddenly you've got this machine that can make any book. And in 1517 was when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the church door in Wittenberg. That seems like the, the launch of the Protestant movement. And also the phrase, nailed it. 
fact. <laughs> Within a few weeks, those theses had spread as far as Switzerland, which was quite a big deal of, you know, rapid travel in the 1500s. And you can't imagine that someone would be able to spread that many ideas that quickly if you had to write out all 99 theses by hand. I mean, that sounds like a high school punishment for, you know, detention. <laughs> well, Martin Luther was one of the people who was on the list of books that were banned by the Catholic Church, John Calvin as well, but also some spicier people. Sartre was on there, uh, Mm -hmm. Victor Hugo, Francis Bacon. Interestingly, Darwin wasn't on there, and nor was Nietzsche, but that's because of the aforementioned thing that if they're clearly atheists, then they're heretical anyway, you don't need to bother reading it. And also, I I read about that, that because they'd run into a spot of bother by denying heliocentrism due to the publication of Galileo Galilei, that they were then like, ooh, don't want to get burnt a few too many times on having our explanations differ too much from what the science starts to really show. Okay, you're going to have to give me a footnote on heliocentrism. That the sun is at the centre of the solar system as opposed to the earth being at the centre of the solar system. Which up until Galileo was kind of the predominant view that the earth was the centre of everything. And then Mm -hmm. uh, he was like, oh, wait a second, actually, no. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Bit wrong. So that was kind of covering their tracks. That was one reason to insist upon this list being circulated. But another reason, to be fair, if you are the Catholic Church trying to get people to come round to your point of view was to pressure the authors who cared about being printed in countries like Italy to change their books, to Mm. remove the passages that were offensive, to resubmit their texts and get their books approved. It was a bit like... American movies trying to get an R certificate rather than an NC-17 for cinema release. It was like, come back, take out that bit that you put about idolatry, come back and we'll look at it again. My favourite example of an author trying to go to the Vatican to defend their title against the Index of Forbidden Books is Father Abbé Marc Orasson, who was a French priest who'd written... Uh, a series of books about sexuality and Catholicism, and I can't imagine why they would object to anyone (laughs) delving around in that particular issue. Um, But he went out there to have the discussion about whether his book could be greenlit, and he sat down with the cardinals, and he related to Le Monde later what they'd said to him. Uh, He said, twice, Cardinal Pizzardo repeated to me, for sexual purity, fright, spaghetti, and beans. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that was that was what the highest cardinal at the Vatican, whose job it was to censor books, said about his thesis about sexuality and Catholicism. It's like, people don't need to know about this. They just need to know to eat their beans. Come on. Just change it to eat your beans. Well, are you sure something that wasn't lost in translation between the French and the either Italian or Latin? <laughs> well, that's the thing, is that if your books are being discussed but eventually are approved, you don't know that they were ever discussed in the first place. There's a Catholic priest called Hubert Wolf who started transcribing the vast documentation of the discussions that had been had by, uh, they were called the Sacred Congregation of the Index, who were in charge of adding and taking away books from the list. And he started publishing notes on the discussions around books which were ultimately approved. There was one instance where one member wanted to ban an etiquette book in the 1700s called On Conversation with Men, because the author was a Freemason, but other members then 
objected, pointing out that the church would look ridiculous if they banned a guide to good manners. <laughs> Incidentally, that congregation does sound like the naughtiest book club in town. Because right? <laughs> and the Pope gets the executive decision, by the way, and they're like, oh yes, well the Pope uses our notes to make a decision. No. Like, the Pope, I bet, had a look at every single one of these questionable texts. Yeah. You would, so, you? yeah, they're like, get a load of this one. This one is truly <laughs> filthy and needs banning. <laughs> but apparently, yeah, two consultors would work on every book that was under consideration, and then they'd all get together and they'd have a discussion and then the Pope would give his sort of thumbs up or thumbs down. A deliberation process which was known as keeping the wolf from the door. Nah. Oh. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Literally been trying to work that in since you mentioned it three minutes ago. It really depends on what you mean by filth though because if you're hoping for steamy sex scenes etc you might be slightly disappointed because the vast majority of books on the index were there because mm. of some incredibly dry you know doctrinal yeah. differences. A lot of people on the list are actually Catholic priests who just had some very slightly different ideas about minor theological <laughs> issues. I did notice that there were a lot of French and Italians on the list, but Reverend Wolf had a theory about this, which was that if the authors were published in English primarily, the Vatican was less interested because they considered that the English and by extension Americans, etc., were already kind of lost because they were Protestant countries. Yeah. But if they, those books were translated into mm. a Romance language, that would then sort of perk up their ears a bit. So much so that some English language books only ended up being banned once they were translated into Italian mm. and so caught the attention of the church. And basically the sacred congregation was sort of disbanded without fanfare in 1966. There was a reorganisation and the new job description just didn't mention the index anymore. There were a couple of mournful comments from the consultants who were on the committee basically saying that they kind of had to give up because there were just too many books. Mm. <laughs> Can't read the ball. <laughs> if you could add one book to an index of books that were to be banned forever, what would you pick? Well, interestingly, Mein Kampf never made the church's list. <laughs> Controversial choice there, Arian. <laughs> well, the... <laughs> well, you never guessed that I'd say no, this. No, no, I, I'm well, not I a think... huge fan of the doctrine of extermination of all Jews. <laughs> I mean, both on a personal level, but also it does seem weird that it never made the list in the first place. And does it? Be, I mean, be, I'm not be... sure what I know about the Vatican strikes me particularly weird of that particular exemption. I would okay. scrap Winnie the Pooh, personally, if I could. <laughs> Uh, I mean, he knows what he did. I see, <laughs> I see the charm, but it's just, it's the whimsy. I can't bear the whimsy. Can't deal with it. Like, I, I'm having to read it out to my son at the moment out loud every night in installments. And it's just like, make something please happen in this story. Please. Rather than just make up a stupid poem about nothing, do something. <laughs> There's quite a lot of kids' books that make the cut where you're like, what am I doing? I didn't like going on this bear hunt the first time and I still don't <laughs> like it now. But anyway, we're starting Mind Camp next week, so I'm sure that'll be more successful. <laughs> Tomorrow. I'm saying that there's someone, I can't remember who it is now. As happy as a Frenchman who... who's just discovered a pair of self-removing trousers. That kind of thing. Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.